Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. A little over 300 years ago in Russia, the Tsar Peter the Great, or Peter the First, sat in a room full of Russian officials and diplomats and some of the Orthodox Church leaders, Russian Orthodox Church leaders. And Peter the First had just come back from a year-long expedition going to Europe, actually traveling in secret to discover uh, really some of the innovations of the European culture and trying to figure out how they can adopt those back into the Russian society. And they were a little bit behind in the times. So he you know, went to um, Germany and he went to Holland, actually worked uh, as a, uh, a uh, shipyard for about four months in Holland and England. And so it was really interesting to read the story. When he came back, though, he sat down with all these men and the Russian men were hardy men, you know, like drink a lot of beer, big coats. And at the time, big beards, had a lot of big beards. And he decided when he came back, he was going to have a lot of reforms. And one of those is that he changed the, the calendar and put a new calendar that was more European. He changed the way Russians wrote, but also he changed some laws in regard to facial hair. Now, the Russians at the time, they loved their facial hair. In fact, this is what one leader said in Russia. Shaving the beard of a man is a sin. The blood of all the martyrs will not wash away. It would, be, it would mean blemishing the image of the man of God, or I'm sorry, the image of man as he's made in the image of God. So in their view, it was the sign of righteousness if you had a big beard. And to shave it off, you were sinning against God. When he came back, he sat with all these men and had a razor in his hand. Now, Peter the Great was six foot uh, eight inches tall. So he was a big guy. And he came over and he said, I have a new law. And that is that every person should uh, shave their beard. And he actually started going over and shaving off the beards of these men. And, and sure enough, he put it into law and taxed people. If they had a beard, they had to pay a tax. You had to carry a coin around with you to prove that you had paid your tax. So, and actually a lot of the, the officials in the Orthodox church were scandalized by this because, you know, the government was telling them they had to do something and taxing them for a religious thing. And so they were very upset about that. So here you had a government that had a, a crazy tax and, how should the people that were Christians in the Russian culture at that time, 300 years ago, how should they have responded to that? What do you think? How should they have responded to that? Should they pay the beard tax? <laughs> and that's kind of a crazy illustration, odd illustration. But today we're speaking about the authority of human institutions, particularly the government, and how we are to respond to Christ and to those authorities that are over us. And last week, we began our study talking about the authority of Jesus Christ. And we said that in Jesus' ministry, he over and over demonstrated that he had the ability to speak for God and as God. And we know that, that he had that ability to speak that because he's the second person of the triune God. In other words, God the Father sent God the Son to the earth in the power of God the Spirit. And when you understand the triune God, you recognize that that was why Jesus had the ability to speak for God and as God, because he is God. So imagine in the temple there on that Tuesday, the crowd surrounding Jesus, hundreds, possibly hundreds of people surrounding Jesus as he's teaching the Sanhedrin, the 70, 71 leaders who are jealous of him, who, who are 
hold much contempt for him because he's interfering with, with their leadership there. And here is Jesus, self-proclaimed rabbi. He's acting like he's in charge. And that's why they asked him the question in verse 28. We looked at this last week. They asked, chapter 12, verse 28, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority to do them? And they knew the answer that he believed it was God who had given him that authority, but they were trying to trap him because they wanted to arrest him and then kill him. And we see that down in verse number 12. So here's the Sanhedrin. They're seething. They meet. They plot. How can we get rid of this guy? How can we arrest and how can we kill him? And their plan is for different groups of those who made up the Sanhedrin to come and confront Jesus and try to trap him in his words. So that's what we see in this chapter. We see that that Jesus is confronted by these different groups that were made that made up the Sanhedrin. And what I think is fascinating is that Jesus listened to each of these groups' attacks, and then he turned those attacks around into public lessons about the truth of his authority. And just, just like Jesus, to be able to teach, even though he's under attack from deceptive assaults. And so we see that in our text today, which is Mark 12, 12 through 17, Jesus turns around these attacks to teach on his authority over human authorities. And then in Mark 12, 18 through 27, he actually teaches about his authority over death and over the spiritual realm. And then Mark 28 or 12, 28 through the end, he speaks about his authority over the scriptures and the hearts of man. So we're going to look this morning at Mark 12, 12 through 17. You can follow along as I read aloud. The Bible says they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away and they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, teacher, we know that you are true. And do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought and they brought one. And he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Let's pray. Father, as we approach the text of scripture here, we are looking at a passage that is not one that we typically pick to preach but it is one that you have directed us to today. So help us to understand it. More importantly, help us as believers, as followers of Jesus to know what does it look like for us to follow Jesus Christ and live in submission to our authorities. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, someone said they were went to bed late last night, so they wanted to um, have some jokes this morning. So I only got one joke for you. To start off, a nervous taxpayer sat down in the office of an IRS agent, an IRS auditor, and the auditor was going through this guy's records, and 
And this, this taxpayer was sweating there and looking very nervous. And the IRS auditor looked at him and he said, oh, I know this seems like a lot of hassle. Maybe you feel like the IRS is requiring too much of you. But, but I think you need to look at this as a privilege. I mean, you are a citizen of a great country. And all we're asking is that you would pay your taxes with a smile. The taxpayer was suddenly relieved. He said, oh, that's wonderful. And he gave a great big smile and he said, I thought you were going to ask for cash or a check. <laughs> that's more of a groaner there for you. Hopefully it woke you up. But today we're speaking about a topic that honestly we don't usually as pastors say, oh, I can't wait to speak about government and taxes. And, but that's our topic today that God has led us to. And so in the back we have an IRS agent. So if you leave early, he's going to talk to you. Not really, but... We're looking here at a passage where Jesus speaks about the authority of the government. And the question comes up, should we pay taxes or not? This passage gives us really four truths about Christ's authority over human authorities. And so the first truth we're looking at is Christ is the ultimate authority over all. Christ is the ultimate authority over all. And we established this point last week, so I'm not going to go into great depths with this. But just to remind us is that Christ gets his authority from the Father. And so the Bible says, Jesus said, in Matthew 11:27, all things have been handed over to me by the Father. So Jesus has all authority. Matthew 17, 2, Jesus was praying to his Father. And he says, you have given him, referring to himself, authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all who you have given him. So Jesus is the all-powerful, authoritative ruler of the universe who spoke with the authority of God himself. But here you have two groups that come to Jesus and really challenge his teaching and challenge his authority in a deceptive, hypocritical way. They try to trap him, and you see that down in verse 13. Bible says in, in verse 13 uh, the, that they, the Sanhedrin, sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And then they, they butter Jesus up. They, they try to appeal to his pride. Of course, he doesn't have sinful, a sinful nature, so they can't appeal to that. They try to trick him, but he's smarter than them. So in verse 14, they came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are true. You don't care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but you truly teach the way of God. And, and little did they know they actually were speaking the truth, even in their own hypocrisy. But the truth is, Jesus is a teacher. He is the teacher of truth. And why is that? Because he's the source of all truth. So he created all spiritual realities, all physical realities, and therefore he has the authority over all those realities. And whatever he says is true, therefore. And therefore, everything, every thought, every authority must fall under him and submit to him because he is the ultimate authority. And so this is an important point for us to start off with because when a person rebels against an authority, what they are doing is they were replacing either themselves or something else with that authority. And so if a child is with a parent and a parent tells them to do something, when that child rebels against their parent or maybe sasses back to their parent, they're replacing themselves with their parent as the authority. They are becoming their own authority and saying, you're not my authority by their actions and their words. I 
am the authority. And that's really truly what humanity has done with God. We've rebelled against God and we've removed him as the authority and said, we are our own authority or, or we will set someone else up as the authority instead of God. So we place ourselves and other things as the authorities of our life. And that's what you see the Jewish leaders doing here. They have their own way to live. And essentially, they form their own political parties to live life so they could be their own authorities. And so you have here the, the Pharisees who use God as a prop so they can live how they want to. You have the Herodians who, who basically said God's not going to be in our life. And they lived as a secularist and they ignored God. And so that's what you see in verse 13. There's two groups that come to him, the Pharisees, and it says some of the Herodians. So it's clear here that the, it's evident there that the Pharisees are leading the way here. And some Herodians kind of uh, came along. So here you have two groups, two different groups, two different really uh, identities and political parties, but coming together for one goal. And that was to trap Jesus. And look in verse 14. What was the trap? What were they trying to do? Well, they asked the question, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? And they wanted Jesus to pick to which authority should they obey? God or the Gentile ungodly government? These leaders thought that this was an impossible question for Jesus to answer without getting into trouble. In their minds, either you submit to God and that means you therefore reject and don't support the wicked, evil Caesar and his government, his evil wars. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow God and not pay my taxes. Or I'm going to compromise to the Roman rule and reluctantly cough up the money, you know, for my own self-interest. And so that was their idea. That was the two choices. And what's fascinating is that each of these two groups, the, the Pharisees and the Herodians, found themselves on these two different sides of the track. And the Pharisees were committed to the Jewish law. And the Jewish state, and they prayed for freedom from Rome. And the Herodians on the other side, they had long ago compromised and benefited from their Roman alliance. And they actually were committed to the Herodian rulers, and they enforced the actual Roman laws. So the Pharisees and Herodians were on opposite sides. And and this is actually the perfect weapon to use against Jesus, right, from a human perspective perspective because it's like he can't get out of this he can't wiggle out of this if he tries to pander to one side the other side will come after him if he tries to pander to this side the other side will come after him but you can't trap jesus right and even more important jesus even disagreed with both of them so it leads to our next point and that is first christ is the ultimate authority and second christ delegates authority to human authorities verse 15 he says why do you put me to the test and then verse 16 They brought a denarius to him, and he said, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. So the the choice put before by the Pharisees and the Herodians was a false choice. Their idea was you either obey God or you obey government. Like they believed and they tried to trap Jesus in. But Jesus' view was you obey God and the government. So the Bible teaches that God is the ultimate authority. And within the world he created, he established authority structures. Those authority structures have limited authority. They don't have the power of God, but they have a limited authority that God has assigned to them. And they have that authority given to them from God so they can do good. Actually, 
Think about the government. The government is to put laws up, and it's kind of like it's kind of like they have a wall around, and, and those who do good can in a healthy way can have a prosperous life and live, and there's walls around to keep the bad people out, maybe in jail or whatever. And the idea is that they the, the government punishes those who do evil and gives freedom to those who do what is right. That's God's design for the authority structure of the government. And so authority structures, and particularly in this passage of the government, they rightfully exercise authority over people. And this is God's design. And Jesus illustrated this by showing them a coin. In verse 15, you can see the Bible said, he said, bring me a denarius and let me look at it. So that's the picture I have on the screen up there. On the left is the front side and the right is the back side. Denarius was a silver coin that was minted by the Roman government. Denarius was used for about, a denarius was used for about 600 years and it's worth about a day's wage. So, so what is that in our time? Is that what, 100 to 120, 140 bucks? I don't know, I guess. But anyways, that's what it'd be worth in their time, a day's wage. On the front of the coin was the image of Tiberius Caesar. And the coin said this, if you can read Greek, you probably can't read this Greek, if you can read Greek, but if you can read Greek, it says this, Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus. So this was a blasphemous statement here, a declaration. Augustus was revered as a god and Tiberius, his son, was also to be worshipped as God. And in the back of the coin was his mother, the mother of Tiberius, and it was said, the high priest. This is a religious symbol. This is a political symbol, but also a religious symbol. And so the Jews considered this to be a wicked, really, symbol of oppression and also of religious idolatry. Because they viewed this as an idol, right? In Exodus, it says you're not to have an idol, not to have put God in an image. So they viewed this as an idol. So carrying around these little coins, like, that's an idol. And so they considered this to be idolatry. So consider the irony of this. Jesus was confronted in the temple. They confronted him in a place where there's not to be any idols. And he says, bring me a coin. So he doesn't have a coin, but someone there does (laughs) that is confronting him. And evidently they are so spiritually blind, they don't even see the hypocrisy of that. So what do you think a Jewish person would expect Jesus to say when he received that coin and held it up? What would the average Jew think he was going to say, well, if you're a Pharisee and you follow their line of thinking, you might expect Jesus to, to say, this is an idol right here. This is the image of the Roman God. And we don't, we don't honor that God. We honor the one true God. And so don't pay your taxes. That's what they probably would have expected. And how do we know that? Well, Luke 23, 1, the Bible says that this was actually the accusation that they brought to Pilate against Jesus. They said, the Bible says, then the whole multitude, the whole company of them, arose and brought him, that's Jesus before Pilate, and they began to accuse him, saying, we found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar. Well, that's not true. That was a lie. And saying that he himself is the Christ, the king. Well, that was true. And so they used this as an accusation to actually bring him to his death. But Jesus didn't say that. He actually directed their attention to the coin. And he said, whose likeness is this? And they said, Caesar's. And then in verse 17, he says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. With this statement, Jesus recognized the legitimacy of the Roman government. That's huge. He recognized that this was actually a government that we should recognize. They had a role in their lives at that time. 
And how is that possible? How is it possible that a wicked government like that could have any legitimacy in their lives? It's because God is the ultimate authority and he delegates limited authority to key human institutions. And the three primary ones we see in the scripture are Genesis chapter 2, the home. So there's an authority structure within the home that God has set up. We see in Genesis as well, the government, and again, an authority structure in the government. And then third, the church was established by Jesus and his apostles, and they give spiritual authority over the lives of Christians. So Christ delegates authority to human authorities. What's interesting is you see the apostles taking Jesus' teaching here, and they expound on it and help people understand what does that mean for the average Christian in a church. So in Romans chapter 13, Paul is writing, think about this, he's writing to those Christians who are in Rome who are next door neighbors to Caesar, right? So if anyone's going to listen to Paul's teaching and wonder about it, it's going to be them. And this is what Paul says, writes, he says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. What? Why? For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Now that's a pretty crazy statement, but it's what the Bible teaches. So not only are governing authorities legitimate, but they actually derive their authority from God. Authority structures are God's idea. So actually it's a blessing from God in one sense, but also those leaders are placed there by God. And that doesn't not mean that, that, they can act like God. Does it mean that they can do whatever they want? Does it mean that whatever they do is right and righteous and holy? But it means that whether they realize it or not, God is sovereign. He has placed them in that authority. And he is the one who has given them authority. They are accountable to him. And he actually can use even, even foolish kings to fulfill his, his plan. In fact, that's what Daniel writes Daniel 2, 21. It is he who removes kings, that's God, and establishes kings. O king, you, O king, are the king of kings to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom. Like Nebuchadnezzar was not there by his own choice or just by a happenstance. Actually, it was God's sovereign will. The power and the strength and the glory were given to him from God. So God establishes authority structures. He establishes the home and governments and the churches, and he delegates limited authority within those institutions. So if you find yourself, and everyone does to some extent, some degree, find themselves in some kind of authority structure, you must remember that God put those leaders over you for your good. That doesn't mean that authorities own you, right? Nobody's owned by an authority. God is the one who owns you. You should give your life to him. It doesn't mean they can cause you to sin. Let me say this to listen to this very carefully. If an authority is sinning against you or forcing you to sin, please go to a higher authority. Please go to a higher authority. For years, I did counseling with, with individuals and many times found this to be the case. And a lot of times people who are authorities or sometimes pretend to be an authority through threats, they make to other people, they, they make it seem like you're not allowed to go to anyone else. But if there's someone that's making you sin, causing you sin, forcing you to sin, then you need to go to a higher authority. And so please, please do that. 
But in general, God has placed authorities in your life within the scope of their responsibilities for your good. And I say within the scope of your responsibilities, right? Because sometimes you can have one authority that acts like their authority in your life in another area. For instance, you maybe have a teacher that says, don't listen to your parents in this. You do what I say. Well, does that teacher have authority over your life in that area? So it's authority within the the scope of their responsibilities. And, and, And to defy that authority within the scope of their responsibilities, to defy that authority is actually, listen to this, is actually to defy God himself. To dishonor that authority is to dishonor God himself. So maybe it's a teacher or a parent or a husband or a pastor or a boss or a governor official or a homeowner's association. Whatever it is, whatever that authority structure is, if we defy that and dishonor that, we're defying God and dishonoring God. That's why the Bible says in Romans 13, let every person be subject to governing authorities. Verse 2, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists God, what God has appointed. Which leads us to the third point, and that is, we are to submit and honor uh, delegated authorities. We are to submit and honor delegated authorities. The question here before Jesus was, should we pay our taxes to Caesar? This was a big debate in the first century here, and actually even the century before that, the first century before Christ, the, the Romans first came into Israel in 63 BC. It's when the Roman rule really started and they started collecting taxes. But really, some extremely heavy taxes fell upon them in 6 BC. And the Roman, one Roman historian said that Israel was exhausted from long years of taxation under Emperor Tiberius. And so they appointed tax collectors. So we read about some of those in the New Testament. Matthew was a tax collector, former tax collector, and Zacchaeus. And so these tax collectors were really just, they were just extortioners, okay? And they collected taxes for the government, but kept a lot for themselves. But even, listen to this, even the Sadducees and the Herodians, they collected taxes. In fact, they collected taxes and they became richer. And the poor people in Israel became poorer. In fact, many of them became indebted to the Herodians and to the Sadducees. And all of that led to a Jewish revolt against the Romans in 66 AD. And what's interesting is the first thing they did in this war in 66 AD is they went and they burned the debt records. So this was really a revolution about a lot of things, but partly about paying taxes. And, and then the lead up to the, the siege of Rome in 70 AD It's interesting that most of the Sadducees and Herodians that were within the walls of Jerusalem were executed by the Jews because they blamed them for taxation and cooperation with Rome. And many of the Pharisees joined the zealots and defended uh, the, the ones that were in Jerusalem, defended Jerusalem. And over a million of those rebels died at the hands of Rome in 70 AD. So my point is to give you a picture of this was... If you were a common Jew, you didn't look favorably upon the Roman government. And even you saw the oppression of the rich Sadducees and and Herodians as something that was very difficult for you to handle as well. And your taxes to Rome supported a Caesar who was a psychopath, a pedophile, a man who hated Jews and Christians and who considered himself to be a god. So when you paid a tax, you know you're paying for that. And also you were paying taxes to people who were just benefiting off of you. 
getting poorer and them getting richer. So, but Jesus taught here that you should pay your taxes. But you can see why the question of paying taxes was such a tricky one, right? I mean, it was not a popular thing back then to pay your taxes. So Jesus was now going against really what was popular. But Jesus taught you should pay your taxes. You must submit to the tax and honor the authorities in that way. And notice he doesn't say in this passage, render to Caesar when Caesar's doing good. What does he say? Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And ideally, government's role is to set up laws for societal peace and to punish evildoers and to allow those who do good to do that. And and we recognize that there's probably no government that's ever done that perfectly, except it will be someday when Jesus rules, right? But whether you're a monarchy, a democracy, or a democratic republic, which, by the way, is what we are, or you turn a country into a socialistic democracy, which we aren't now, but possibly will be someday. How should we respond to those in authority? That's really the question before us. How do we respond to those in authority? What does the Bible teach? What did Jesus teach? Well, again, going back to this passage in Romans 13, Paul explained that Jesus taught that we are to be subject for He is God's servant, the government and God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid for he does not bear the sword in vain for he is a servant of God an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the evil, the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. And so then Paul says, for because of this, you also You also pay taxes for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. There was a a prominent uh, evangelist a couple years ago who believed that he was exempt from paying income taxes for himself and for his ministry. So he didn't do it. And he fought this battle all the way to prison. He had blog posts, YouTube rants, articles written, basically saying, I do not, I have a right not to pay taxes because I'm a minister of the gospel. And what's sad was legally he was wrong, but also biblically he was wrong. Like if the government says you should do it, I don't care if you're a minister of the gospel or not, you, you should do it if it's paying taxes. And so we are to pay our taxes. So if you're, if you're ripping off the government right now, your taxes need to make that right. But even more so, beyond that, we must also honor those in authority. I mean, the passage that Pastor Roger read for you this morning says that we're to be subject to those governing authorities. Why? For the Lord's sake, to every human authority, every human institution, whether it be to the emperor, to Caesar as supreme, or to governors. And then the last sentence in verse 17, he says this, Fear God, honor the emperor. Fear God, honor the emperor. And both of these go together. So when you fear God, you're recognizing that he is the ultimate authority. And you recognize that any other authority falls under him. And if you truly fear God, listen, Christian, if you truly fear God, you will respond in honor to those who are in authority. It's shocking, I think it can be shocking to hear 
Christians in America and how they speak about the authorities in our government. Christians can be some of the most downright disrespectful citizens in America. And, and we may disagree with pol- the politics. We may disagree with their lifestyle. God may disagree with their lifestyle. Hopefully both those match up our opinion and God's opinion. And, and we should exercise our right to vote and to speak against sin. So I believe those things are true. But we should never speak in a way that dishonors our authorities. And that includes what comes out of our mouth. And that includes what we write and post on social media. And when we jeer authorities, when we call them names like crazy Nancy, you know, things like that. And I don't go through some other names. You probably know who I'm talking about when I say that one. But when we do that, we're actually dishonoring God. It's shocking to see how free Christians can speak just so negatively about those in authority. And I think in general, probably, the Christian conscience in America is so dull in regard to how we speak about officials and authority. I think it's because that we have the same attitude to many authorities in our life. Right? You have children and youth and teenagers, and they grow up, and they grow up talking back to their parents. They grow up with this disrespect. And you go to the stores, and you hear how kids talk to their parents. There's this, this sassiness. There's this cutting. There's this, there's this, they treat them as equal to themselves. When I worked in South Carolina with teens, I would sometimes talk to teens. And they say, well, you don't understand my parents. <laughs> if you live with my parents, you wouldn't want to obey them either. You wouldn't want to obey them. But the Bible doesn't say, children, obey your authorities if your parents are perfect. If you agree with them, if they're good parents, it says, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Sometimes parents can complain about authorities, yeah, teachers, you know, and so the kids are on their way home from school and they're complaining, I can't believe this teacher did this. And the parents join right in and they cut these authorities down. You go to some soccer games and baseball games and some people yell at the refs, right? Some Christians yell at the refs. I can remember one time I was in high school, this particular team we'd play, and the pastor of the church would come out, and he'd stand in the stands, and some of the things that came out of his mouth, I mean, I'm sitting there as a teenager going, he's a Christian? <laughs> like, and he's a pastor of the church, you know? And so sometimes we can speak in a way, as, even as parents, that undercuts authorities. We can gripe and complain about our bosses. I've worked in employment settings where you have, like, the little desk that everyone goes to to talk about, you know, can you believe the boss did this? And they scheme, manipulate, they try to figure out how they can, you know, get a head up on the boss or talk about him and speak evil against him and dishonor him in that way. The church, churches can be abuzz with gossip and conversations, complain about this and that. Can you believe the pastors did this? Can you believe the elders decided on this? And my point is, it's not ever a problem to question authorities and to talk to authorities, but it is a problem to dishonor. It's a problem to, to manipulate, to lie, and to disrespect. There's a proper spiritual way that God wants us to approach the authorities of our government, to approach the authorities in our church, to approach the authorities within our home, to approach the authorities within our schools or our work or whatever setting that is. But, but the question really for us to think about is how does Christ want us to submit to our authorities he places in our life? And it's not just only that we shouldn't dishonor them, but actually the command is here to honor them, honor the emperor. So what would that look like if Christians in America, what would it look like if us in our room, if we said, as Christians, we want to honor those who are in authority in our, in our lives, 
even if we disagree with them? What would that look like for us? Many times I use this diagram in counseling to help people kind of think through that. Because a lot of times people like to justify it. Well, I don't have to, I don't have to follow that person. But when you kind of think about the authority structure that God's put in place, God delegates authorities to be overseeing us, whether it be in the home or, or the government or the church or work. And then, and then that's us there. And when we defy the authorities over us, when we sin against them in whatever way that looks like, when we don't honor them, we take pride in our rebellion, we actually defy not just them, we're also defying God. And if you are not living in relationship with a delegated authority in your life, you're also, listen, you're not living in relationship with Jesus Christ. You can't be a disobedient child or teenager and be an obedient Christian. You can't be a disobedient, dishonoring Christian citizen in America and be honoring God. And I think some of this probably reflects that we are unwilling to submit to delegated authorities because we're actually unwilling in our hearts to submit to God. And I think probably a lot of Christians in America, we should probably consider in our hearts, why is it that I resist authority so much? Could it possibly be that maybe I'm actually not living under the authority of Jesus Christ? In a very least, probably we should fear God in regard to how we respond to his authorities. The Bible, if I don't have that there, the Bible says in Romans 13 too, therefore, whoever resists the authorities, resists what God has appointed. And those who resist, listen to this, they incur judgment. If you resist the authorities, listen, you have to answer to the authority. Also, listen, you have to answer to God. The Bible says in Romans 13, 5, that, that we must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for conscience sake. So we must submit and honor our authorities. And then number four, we are to submit and honor God above all. The fourth truth is we are to submit to God and honor him above all. And look at down in verse 17, where Jesus speaks about this. He says in verse 17, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God, the things that are God's. In other words, if, if this coin has Caesar's image on it, then give it to him. And if, if it has God's image on it, then whose is it? It's God's. So the question, therefore, is where has God placed his image? On you. So therefore, what should you give to him? And that is yourself. That is your life. God is a sovereign. He's the authority over all. He appoints authorities for us to honor and to obey. But our lives are not dedicated to governments. They're not dedicated to those authorities. They're dedicated to God. We are made in the image of God. Our lives belong to him. So we must fulfill our responsibilities to our government. Pay your taxes. If you're not registered to vote, go register and vote. Participate in the political system. Honor your authorities. But remember your creator. He is the one that you are to live for. He is, must be the ruler of your life. That, so that means, therefore, if a government or an authority requires you to disobey God, what does the Bible say you should do? We must obey God rather than man. So if someone says you must 
You must say these things or you can't preach the gospel and you have to do this. Who should you obey, God or the government? You should obey God. And so if that choice is, if that choice is demanded of you to, to choose, you have to choose that, then you must choose God. If that authority is sinning against you, then you must respond in a righteous, spirit-filled way. If that authority is in rebellion against God, then we should pray for them. And I think this last statement that Jesus makes here in verse 17, to God, the things that are God's, shifts the focus from this earthly temporal world that we are so focused on, right? And we, we look at so much and we consume our minds with so much to actually the eternal important topic. And that is what? That is God himself. See, Jesus didn't come to start a revolution politically. Jesus didn't come to call for anarchy or government insurrection. His hope was not in government change, right? We can pray for that. We can, we can hope for that in that sense. But ultimately, that is not the hope for America. That is not the hope for us. His hope was found in his power and his plan. And Jesus knew who was the king. That was him. And he called his disciples to say, listen, follow me as king. Recognize that I'm the king. I'm sovereign. I place kings. I remove kings. Trust me as I do my work in this world for the glory of my father. Fear God, honor authorities over you, live as pilgrims and look forward to the kingdom where Jesus is the king and he rules perfectly on his throne. And so as we conclude here, I just want to think about what, what should come to our mind when we think about authorities in our life. One of the things I appreciated about Roger when I came here was that every Sunday we pray for another political figure. It doesn't matter if it's Donald Trump or it's Nancy Pelosi or whoever it is. I don't, we have a big list of them. It doesn't matter. We pray no matter what the party is because we want to obey the scriptures. And 1 Timothy 2 says we should pray for those who rule over us. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all people, giving of thanks only for those people who are the good people, right? Oh, wait, didn't, didn't, actually said all people. Sorry about that. And then verse two, for kings and all who are in authority, except if your parents wrong you, right, teenagers? Wait, no, pray for them in authority that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So let me ask this question. Do you pray for your authorities in your life? So children, if you claim to be a Christian, do you pray for your parents, your teachers? which sometimes is one and the same. Teenagers, do you pray for your parents, those authorities in your life? Adults, do we pray for, if you're in college, do you pray for your professors? Do you pray for those who are in their government? Do you pray for your boss? Do you honor them in your words? Do you view them as God's appointed authorities over you? And last of all, are we all fully submitted to the ultimate authority of Jesus and trusting that he is our Lord and our Savior. I think it'd be good for us as we just go into a time of quiet here in our hearts to just bring these questions before the Lord. And honestly, I think I I faced this this week, like that wrestling of like, I don't think this is where I'm at right now. I need to really reconsider how I speak and think and, and pray. I think it's good for us to go before the Lord in these things. Would you bow your heart and your your mind with me as we go before the Lord.
Would you ask him these questions in your heart and respond in prayer to him? Would you ask yourself, Lord, would you help me to pray for my authorities? Give me wisdom and discernment to know how I should honor them in my words. And, and really, really know what does it look like to honor them and what does it look like to call them out for their sin and, and to rightly confront what was, what's wrong. Help me to view them as blessings in my life that you've put in there. Help me to be fully submitted to Jesus Christ. Father, I confess for myself and for our country that we many times are not the lights that we should be that reflect the glory of the Lord. We can speak and act in a way that is not honoring to those that you have put in our life particularly even thinking about the government that we have. And God, we do pray for a government that will honor you, that will righteously judge, that will protect those who are innocent, the unborn, those who are evil and wrong, that have sinned, that they will be punished for their sin, rightfully, justfully. Those who are innocent won't. We pray for that. We pray that you will rise up leaders in our country that will righteously uh, make laws that reflect your character. We pray for their salvation. We pray for the salvation of those. Think about the next couple of verses. And in First Timothy, it says that we pray for them, desiring that they come to the knowledge of the truth. And so we pray for that, that you'll do that with our governor here in California. Even as I think about Katie Hill, as she's stepped away, but that there's a a lady for whom Christ died, and I pray that you'll save her, her soul. And I pray that you will give us hearts that are submitted, so submitted to you and to your authority that we speak in a way that demonstrates our submission to you and, and then even to them. And I pray that you'll give us a church, children and teens and young adults and and all of us in here, give us a church that is truly, sweetly submitted to the authority that you've given to us. And I pray for anyone in this room, I think this is probably a reality in our world today, that some are being oppressed by authorities. I pray the truth will come out. I pray you'll give them freedom from that. You'll give them strength and courage to step out and, and go to a higher authority. And ultimately, God, may we all, always go to you as, as our highest authority. Break our hearts before you. Humble us before you. May we live lives that are, are peaceful. May we live lives that honor you, that give the gospel, and that are true lights to our community and to our world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.